another Thursday with Thor. Hope you guys are busting out those killer buds and got out some epic extracts. It's time to smoke up and get into the podcast. Hope you guys are happy to be back as I am. This holiday season we're kicking off is going to be great. I know a lot of people just harvested and got a lot of their um, outdoors uh, started to be dried and cured here in the Northeast region. A lot of other places around the world they kind of benefit from uh, having, you know, the ability to grow and to harvest at different times of the seasons. And, uh, you know, it's a really uh, cool experience for a lot of people, other uh, parts around the world. But here in New England, you know, we got one shot. You know, the Northeast is a, it's a very um, unforgiving climate sometimes. It gets very cold here late in the season. Um, fortunate for us, um, really the first cold snap was really close to November and people were actually able to push their cannabis really into late October this year. We ended up actually harvesting ours about mid-October. Um, we staggered a few of our plants too as well. Some stuff was done, stuff, uh, some stuff wasn't completely done. And that's what I talked about in previous episodes, how certain genetics and certain cultivars are going to really uh, flower quicker and finish quicker. And some are going to just, you know, elongate and take a really long time to develop and get to the point to where they need to be. And I think, um, you know, really writing things down and taking notes is, is where you're going to advance in that. Because learning your genetics and, and what's good for your environment, uh, you know, what's what genetics are really being put together and other genetics that are making it, uh, given those abilities to really kind of uh, thrive in the outdoors. I mean, we've come across a lot of different things here. Just recently this year, we've learned something new with the Tropicana Cherry, the Relentless Genetics Cut. I mean, I really like the fast finishing on it. I like the way that it builds, the structure of it. It doesn't get too big and too out of hand. I believe that a lot of people could actually grow that cultivar and um, still have that great experience of a nice pink purple bud. And then at the same time, you know, still get the frost levels and the THC levels because that's what I think what was behind the Tropicana cherry was really the fact that Tropicana cookies had that wonderful terp, but the percentages were really low. I mean, less than 20% a lot of the time, even from the official mountain cut. So the truth is, is I've had experience with that and, uh, you know, years of experience with that. So I kind of know what's behind it. And when it got put with the uh, cherry cookies, it really was to... But to bring it back, you know, THC-wise to a higher um, realm where people were able to actually enjoy it full spectrum uh, with both sides of the field. Because sometimes when you're just getting with Tropicana cookies, you're only getting so much out of it, you know. But with the with the extra cherry cookies in there, it really kind of morphed it to being back on the level where everybody needed it to be. So having that in the... And the stock was great um, harvesting uh, when it came to drying, curing. Everything was real easy with it. It didn't become super airy or light. Everything was nice and solid. And the buds naturally just did the about 70 to 75%. You know, they shrink down, you know, size-wise because they're full of water once you cut them. And then, you know, drying, it took about 12 days. Uh, we really, about 10 to 12 days in, we'll go in and we start to really see what's going on with the um, with the harvest phase. Because the drying and the curing process is probably one of the most important things when it comes down to the finish. Because you can grow real good, you could flower real good, you know. Uh, but when it comes down to it, uh, the harvest is probably one of the 
bigger uh, aspects of really growing. If you don't got your harvest game down, you're really going to struggle. And, and a lot of people can grow well, but they just don't know the true best process about it. And, you know, we've done so many things and spent money over the years and done research and compare and contrast them with the can cannabis community that, you know, we've even reached out to use machines before. Uh, we've done it all when it comes down to drying and curing over the years. And I really want to give you guys my um, aspect on things. So to kind of step back a little bit and go back to the genetics talk that we were talking about with what grows good outdoors and what doesn't, you know, you really have to kind of take notes and get that down because in your repertoire, sure, new things are always great to put in there, but you don't want to be growing all new things at all times, especially with the outdoors. Um, only certain things, uh, certain genetics, excuse me, instead of things, you know, I got to sometimes, uh, you know, stop myself. I'll get ahead of myself in my speech. I'll call certain lingo, certain things and forgive me on that part. But, you know, when it comes down to genetics, you really have to, uh, select what's going to give you an advantage outdoors. And you really have to think about what you're going for. Some people are in for growing just for the growing spirit. Sometimes they just like to have all kinds of different plants going around and, you know, just having a little mix of this and mix of that. It, it doesn't have to be a certain select. Uh, some people aren't really pick, uh, you know, picky and, and choosy and they'll just take anything. And sometimes, you know, it works out and some most of the time it doesn't because of the fact that the nature and the climate, you know, uh, is so much different than a controlled environment. So you're going to get different expressions. And of course, the outdoors brings out complete different expressions than indoors too. So you got to really kind of remember, you know, it's not going to come out just like it does indoors. So a lot of people sometimes will just select what they see is pretty and just throw it out there and expect to get what they you know, expect, expect. That's the thing. Don't be expecting a lot, you know, because, you know, Mother Nature, she could throw your curveballs and you never know when you're going to have a bad windstorm or a bad rainstorm or uh, multiple and in consecutive days, you know, because that's where things really start to, you know, get their issue. And depending on where you live and, and where the rain's coming from, if it's coming off of certain waters, um, if they're polluted or you're, you know, living uh, close to, you know, a factory or something and, and you have, you know, certain elements actually coming in that rain. So you sometimes test in that rainwater, ensuring that you got some clean stuff or really just sourcing your water from a mountain. Some people still do RO outside, but your water source is going to be a, a very big play inside of that expression, as well as the um, medium that you're using. Some people are using a mixture of different things that kind of allow it to really have a little bit less porosity, something some people want more high porosity when it comes down to, you know, water storage whenever they're watering their plants. Uh, some people want it to be heavily aired out they're mixing their stuff with peat moss, cocoa coir, you know, with the soil and then putting a lot of vermiculite in it, you know, perlite, stuff like that. You know, some people are even mixing rocks in it to really kind of aerate the soil a bit so they could really just constantly feed through, get a lot of runoff. And then some people are actually trying to, you know, keep that runoff and really kind of keep that mycology running as much as possible without over, you know, uh, saturating or over, um, you know, keeping that hot hot medium to where you know your plants are starting to react or you have too much going on it's always a very good balance and and really working with uh certain mediums and certain situations will help you with certain genetics like some genetics don't like to have a heavy uh porosity with water tropicana cherry i'll go back to that one again i notice it just doesn't like to grow in hydro as well as it can grow in a different in like a soil medium that's you know got low porosity 
for example, it really likes to have that dry back, 100%. Like, it doesn't really want to um, uh, wilt on you and kind of show you that it needs to be fed until it's really, really dry. It kind of surprises me how well it really adapts to the environment and how well it really kind of helps you and 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 learning these cultivars and learning these genetics and you know growing stuff like cushmints cushmints outdoors wow it just gets amazingly big uh, apple fritter outdoors amazingly big a lot of these are you know not necessarily bred outdoors but some of them are and you know some of them are uh, um you know worked and tested outdoors a little bit more than the other uh, you know, it's just kind of the element of things. And I believe, in my opinion, if you can grow and find new genetics uh, in the Northeast here and, and they grow really well outside, they'll grow really well outside, whether in your Northern California or in other climates around the world. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, we have it a little harder than other people up here in the Northeast. So if you can grow out here outdoors, man, you're really going to thrive indoors anywhere you go. You know, outdoors is a hard element to bust through, you know. So um, the reason I talk about this is because we've spoke about this in prior episodes and we've really, you know, touched base on, you know, uh, outdoor growing and what it could do for you. And it goes also back to why you're growing. You know, some people want to grow for the spirit and then some people want to grow for flower. They really like the abundance of flower. They keep big totes and they constantly have flower all year long. Um, they don't mind, you know, smoking stuff that's been cured for eight months, you know, stuff that's a year old. You know, some people are still smoking on last year's crop and they enjoy it because they do such a good job that they can continue to, uh, you know, smoke it and have a very good experience because they're so smart about curing. They're so smart about their dry process, how they went about it, um, you know, how they harvested. And all those methods really go into a factor. It's like an art. Each person is a little bit different. And I want to say that sometimes there's no bottom line to it. And, you know, of course, we can hit a criteria and we can hit a bubble to where we're all kind of saying, yeah, in this range here, we all like to be in this range. You know, and then, you know, of course, you got the weirdos out there, you know, who like to really experiment with everything and do crazy things and try to put it in uh, different environments to try to see if they could speed things along without degrading anything. And the truth is, is if you stay within a realm and you learn and experience what these genetics are going to do and you learn that realm is pretty much 50-50. And when I say 50-50, it's temperature and humidity. You really want to kind of work within that range of uh, temperature and humidity of 50-50, and that's my favorite. It's very easy to obtain that up here where I'm at. I've always been able to really have a wonderful dry and sure game here in the Northeast. Um, in our climate, it seems to always be nice and cold uh, right around the time that you have to harvest, and uh, it's always pretty dry around that time too. Uh, considering that it's cold, you're using the heat. Sometimes you have to really worry about the rooms and the areas that you have them in. If you're in a high, uh, say you like to heat real heavy in the house or someone else likes to heat real heavy in the house, and it's always up to like 72 in the house, well, you're going to not be able to really use a room that has heaters in there like that. You know, you're going to have to find somewhere that stays a little bit colder in the house, those areas that get cool, and really kind of combat your area if you're doing it indoors. Some people have warehouses where they're able to fit that temperature perfect and dial it in. Some people have to use tents, you know, and then they enclose the tents and they dial it in. Whatever the factor be, they still have to kind of combat wherever they're at and try to choose the best places to get that kind of bubble area of that 50-50. So I'm starting to see some videos and some 
um, blogs online, and I'm starting to see some talk online. Uh, there was a wonderful write-up recently about people using the 60-60 method, and a lot of people like the 60-60, and a lot of people I've known done uh, have done that for a very long time. They enjoy maybe 60-55. Some people do 60-60. I've heard of 65-65 before. I don't enjoy those myself. I don't use those methods. Those methods have now been talked about and proven to where they're starting to do some paperwork and testing here. Um, I want to see the testing because sometimes if someone said they did the work and they're starting to see, you know, percentages, I kind of want to see their work and their paper. I've been around a lot of places, a lot of uh, workplaces in the world, a lot of business teams, a lot of professional people. And sometimes you really have to kind of see where they get their data from, where they get their percentages from. You got to fact check it. And it's not because you're mean or you're, you're constantly trying to fight against, uh, you know, what they're talking about or disagreeing constantly. It's just the fact that you want to fact check, you know, facts are facts, you know, when men lie, women lie, you know, uh, the numbers don't really lie when it comes down to it. You have to also see where they're getting their numbers from because I've also seen lab percentages for multiple labs that one will give a way higher percentage in the same exact uh, uh, material and another lab is coming up different percentages and then a third control lab being used uh, had a complete percentage than both of them. So, I mean, really and truly, you have to gather all this together. You kind of have to really consider the source and that's the old saying, consider the source. Because when it comes down to it, man, we're, we're trying to find out uh, the best of the best medicinally here. And we're trying to really find out what, what methods we could do to, to make it better. You know, in the 60-60 method here, they're saying that it's bad, that it's actually degrading terpenes. So 60-60 method now is starting to get the uh, attention from this, um, from a few sources and I'd like to see where the data comes from. These are a lot of blog conversations, uh, YouTube conversations uh, about 6060 method not being the way to go. So my way to grow was the 50-50, the whole way, you know, it's the way it works. You know, dry and cure is a, a very heavy method that if you don't get right, if you don't properly let these buds, you know, uh, uh, get get that process that they need to, they're going to be degrading, you know. So at that 50-50, I've always been comfortable to see um, that it's done the best, it's looked the best, the trichomes are always intact on the buds, looking wonderful, the way that it burns is totally white ash, you don't see any black ash, you know, we're constantly uh, going through different methods of using certain nutrients and trying to... Uh, make mobile nutrients uh, not used as much and, and, and saturated and the medium is really getting leached out at the end. And, and how do I say, you know, flushing, a lot of people don't like to use that word, but, you know, leaching the medium out at the end is really going to help the plant start to not see uh, a buildup and saturation of the nutrients. And it'll hopefully try to consume itself to the point to where it's really, you know, giving you uh, all these colors and the bud's starting to really look like it's matured. It's kicking off all its last stages of life and it's ready to be harvested. So late into uh, October here, we got a lot of dark, uh, deep purple colors, dark black colors starting to kick in. And I know from, you know, washing standpoint that sometimes deep purple isn't all that, you know, especially if it's all going to be purple. You don't want to make all your bud all purple you know so you really want to kind of take it 
whenever it's ready, but you also want to take it before it gets a little overripe because, you know, of course we have our stages of trichomes. We have our clear, cloudy, and our ambers. Of course, we want a percentage of ambers in there. That's really going to kick um, some of the expressions off of the genetics into gear mixed with the cloudy that is a ripe. You don't necessarily want to have just, you know, uh, cloudy and clear. Sometimes when you're washing, cloudy and clear will help you, especially if you're looking to retain color and try to get a very light color. Sometimes people will pull a little bit earlier on their harvest when it comes down to washing. And it goes back to like what I said, are you growing for the soul? Are you growing for flower abundance? If you're growing for hash, a lot of the time people don't want to let the plant get too overripe. You know, they want to kind of take it at a certain time. And this is kind of going to give them um, a little better aspect of, of terpenes in a certain degree because we have stages of terpenes too, guys. You got to remember if you're, if you're, when the first buds start to develop, you get a certain smell. And once the next step stage comes in mid flower and you start to see the floral growth and then the different terpenes start to kick out. And then once you get down to where it's at a mature point, they start to smell just a slight tinge different with a little bit heavier of this, you know. And then if you go to the overripe stage, you start to smell even more of something come through. So really there's stages of, I don't know if it's a degradation or not, or some things are, are becoming more predominant. It's one or the other. I mean, the study of trichomes is something I really want to get into. I've talked about that in prior episodes. It's just something that I know is the key to learning all about this because the fact is is we're not actually growing the the leaf and the bud we're growing trichomes and you know when you're growing for hash you're growing for trichomes you want stuff that really dumps the most frost and uh people don't realize okay it could be a small bow with a lot of frost that's still not um the best situation at hand the best situation is to get more surface area bigger buds with more trichomes and sometimes it's hard because the trichomes end up becoming smaller or some of them are bigger you know in that case that's why we have different uh catch bags when it comes down to washing hash sometimes you'll have the 45 and the 90 and some people will even separate uh separate 75 in between the two and then i've seen people as far as to go to uh 37 a bag just under the 45 i mean if you're really trying to separate and really get there and kind of learn the trichome uh development on outdoors on indoors on just a pure cannabis study it's a really cool study when it goes um into a book or somebody really puts it all together because all we got is bits and pieces and that's why these podcasts exist and that's why these youtubes exist and that's why we talk in the, amongst the communities because you know uh we really kind of understand that it's bits and pieces at this point and, and you got some entrepreneurs out there uh like the cannabis project and you got a lot of great other people out there making videos online and then you got the hash boys all doing real good online uh, at solventless sbmv uh one of the most great people i've learned from when it comes down to hash you know out there in california different people doing youtube and stuff like that they're really putting things together i can name a bunch of people it's just a few that come to mind and uh, when it comes down to it, guys, I just really want to explain, you know, the reason why you grow. Some people want flowers. Some people just want to grow. Some people want terps. They grow for nothing but terps. They're like, listen, man, I don't really care if it gives you a lot of this or that. What I'm looking for is taste, you know, because they really are looking for taste or say maybe they extract for that uh, specific taste because they're looking for a hydrocarbon extract with it. That'll allow them to put it into pens or Whatever degree, you got to remember, man, once you get on 
a big scale too as well, you're going to start growing plants for certain reasons and you really kind of have to plan for that. You're not just picking what's popular. A lot of people I know out there would just jump on the newest of the genetics always growing because they think the new is better because new means advancement. Really and truly where we're at in this genetics field as far as breeding and growing, and I understand it. I believe that my opinion does carry water. And we're all on the same level. Anybody can be a breeder if they put the time into it. Um, don't be intimidated by people who have done it for years. They're just going to understand the aspects a little bit more quicker than you. But once you wrap your head around it, we're all on the same playing field and we all play the same position. So you just have to really try and believe in yourself. But when it comes down to it, we're not necessarily looking for the progression for what's better um, when it comes down to percentages and what's the best the truth is is everyone is just throwing together what they think will become something you know let's throw these two goods let's throw this together and then you got the other guys who are the money grabbers who are just like let's throw everything that we have together with everything that we have and then once we can't do that no more we'll collaborate with some other person and then we'll combine genetics that way and we'll put what i have into what you have and it's because they have nothing else to do and they're not pushing and pursuing the better part of cannabis, which is the true medical value and learning and making cannabis better for what it is, not necessarily for their pockets. So when you get guys that are out there paying for percentage testing of every single thing they're doing, we're talking about they're blowing some big cash with these laboratories to really kind of understand what the uh, testing is all about, why they test, um, what the uh, terpene expressions are making up, what the uh, CBG, CBNs, all the percentages that are developing these CHCs, the CBDs, you know, going in depth and really learning each genetic for their specific qualities and traits and then putting it down in a medical term is what I think the true best value of cannabis is in my opinion. It's really taken it to a laboratory, uh, to like a, a scientific um, doctor's aspect as if we're all doctors and not just breeders because some people look at it as, let me express my style into it and, and it's me, it's my brand. You know, when I look at cannabis, it's not just Viking Gardens. It's actually cannabis as a whole. It's the scientific value. That's why I actually work both photo period and autoflower. That's why I put so much time in autoflower. And that's why I put so much time into autoflower regular versus going straight to feminizing and just combining the best of the best, you know, and, and getting the easy way out because of the way that the genetics were replicated through the process of feminization. The people that worked auto flower regulars and have to pop hundreds of seeds and see hundreds of phenos and hundreds of females, hundreds of males and select the best of the best, understanding that they are seeing different expressions for different reasons and the reasons of not just combining the biggest with the biggest, but the biggest and the baddest with the biggest and the baddest and really go intricacy and details with it because if you're just sitting around combining anything together we already know those type of breeders we see it in their work but whenever you start to really see big work to where not only is it growing very well vigorously in veg vigorously in flower and really produce you a big plant on a scale that you want it to that it says it's going to do you know that's why some of these packs say size um what it how it grows etc you know because they've studied that and they've seen that that's what we're supposed to do as 
scientific breeders, you know, we're, we're trying to produce the best of the best. And really the ones that push the, the most are really the ones that are going to be the, the, the best winners in this community when it comes down to that. So if you're new out there and you're looking to get into breeding, just know if you do it for the right purposes, man, people will respect you for the right deal. But if you're looking just to make some money, hey, and nobody's going to really hate on you. We're just not going to respect it as much. And we're going to see you for what you're worth and what you're doing. And it's always a contribution. Don't ever think it's a negative thing because even these guys that are money grabbers that are just producing whatever and every, they're, you know, putting out six, seven different, you know, lines a year with 10 different genetics on each line. You know, these guys are just throwing things together, trying to be, um, you know, money grab. Hey, that's okay. At least they're putting out some genetics for us to grow. And maybe somewhere down the line, we could pick up those genetics and pheno hunt them and really do it right. And, find the best of the best because what a lot of these breeders will do is they'll try to sick a bunch of seeds on somebody that does want to do that they'll take advantage of somebody that's a sole grower and they will say oh this person's got a lot of decent money to put into growing and they got a big grow area let's try to get them to grow as much as my genetics and then when they do a pheno hunt of 100 i'll get them to select that clone or I'll help them select that clone more or less because they even do that too. They'll get up in there and go, let me see all your phenos. Ooh, I like that one. I like that. And they'll get you to send those phenotypes back to them. And then they make a whole line off of that. Are you kidding me? Whoa, you just took advantage of everybody and got paid. Wow. A lot of people will do that. So, you know, sometimes it's just something you got to learn and see through these people. So, Selecting your genetics for what you want will get you somewhere in life too as well. So don't just pick what's popular. Try to pop some stuff that you know has some value behind it and experience. So whenever you get down to the harvest phase and you're cutting, I'm highly going to recommend this dry and cure phase. I mean, it's helped me tremendously. So the moment that I cut down, we cut the plant. We don't cut it from the bottom stem. We actually cut branches off one by one. And when we cut a branch, we leave an L shape with the branches and the uh, L shape will actually kind of be, leave you a hook on the end. So whenever you cut your branches off, you kind of want to cut them at the inner node, but you want to cut them in a specific way to where it makes like a hook, you know, and you're able to hang it over a hanger. And when you do this, you're able to actually have your buds um, still on the on, on a nice branch so that they all hang nicely together. And whenever you combine two, three hangers together, they you don't want to have them like so compact intertwined with each other to where they're kind of pulling on each other. You want to give them a little bit of space and you want to hang these hangers on clothes racks with uh, wheels. And these clothes rack school wheels will give you a lot of space to hang your plants as well as get some air room to them as well. And on top of that, you will also have the ability to move it around if you need to. Uh, you want to keep them in the dark too as well. So whenever you harvest, you're going to want to separate everything and you're going to want to label everything. If you don't label everything and you just cut everything down, you're going to get a mix of everything intertwined with each other. And if you go to um, isolating them and bagging them up, you're going to notice that you have stuff mixed up and it's going to bother you a little bit and it's going to give you issues. So please make sure that you're labeling everything and keeping them together. And this will really help you in the end. This is really going to help you especially if you're washing. You don't want to intertwine profiles with each other because you're going to want to isolate. When you wash, you want to isolate. 
You want to isolate each strain because if you're isolating each strain, you're really getting the best of the genetic and you're not mixing it with other stuff to where when you go to have your stuff tested, you're getting um, collateral damage and you're having variability uh, variables that are going to throw things off. So isolating things will get you a lot of respect in the community too because it goes to show that you're trying to actually isolate and get certain percentages so that your scientific um, data is actually valued and it's not contaminated. So it goes to show that you're actually trying to learn the most you can from the strain itself. Or excuse me, the genetic. Forgive me for saying that. I hate saying that word strain. Um, so forgive me on that one. Genetics. These genetics are uh, being learned uh, so that you know next time you grow them what process worked and to where you're doing this over and over again maybe by the third time you had a harvest and you're getting to your end result you've realized this was the best method you know and that's called kicking that kicking that genetics ass and and we do that we grow stuff over and over here because we realize that one time around isn't going to give us all the data we're going to have to do it at least twice sometimes thrice and that thrice will make it nice, I promise you, man. Scientific value and experience is really where you get as far as you can with cannabis moving into the next level. And um, so now that you know your purpose of why you're growing and you're harvesting, you're hanging up. Um, so about 10 days go by during that dry factor. Uh, you're drying 10 days in a 50-50 environment. Temperature and humidity, 50-50 has always been my favorite. It always works for me. It's a very slow method. Um, it will not be a quick method. It will take you the full 14 days. Um, what you're going to do is after about seven to eight days, you're going to go in there and you're going to feel for the outside leaves to be somewhat, you know, crispy because we don't wet trim. We don't take off all the leaves. A lot of these leaves have, uh, trichomes and sugar all over them. We're trying to obtain that during the wash. What we're doing is we're taking off a lot of the leaves that don't have nothing and the tops of the leaves that, you know, don't have them tip to tip. Uh, some frost leaves are just covered tip to tip, top to bottom. So we just allow certain leaves to stay on that will protect the bud and go over the bud and almost wrap like a hand to kind of protect the bud from being touched by any, you know, hands or anything, you know, bumping into it because we want to keep as many trichome heads intact we don't want to touch the buds with our fingers as much as possible. We want to not touch these buds as much as possible during the drying phase and the uh, handling during the trimming phase too as well. That's one of the main factors that I want to tell people. When you go to overhandling your buds and just tearing them apart and manhandling with your fingers and going, oh, look at how much goop is all over my hands. I mean, you're just wasting so much good potential that you could have during a uh, proper period to actually enjoy your buds that way. Um, really during this dry phase, be so gentle with it. Some people I've seen even put the stems in bottles and trim with the bottle so that they don't touch the buds at all. I enjoy leaving the stem on because when I go to trim, I actually grab the branch, the, the, the big stem that it's on and I'll, you know, have my hand only on the branch, not on the buds. And this way, I'm really able to kind of keep all those trichomes beautiful. I'm not popping them. I'm not making them all, you know, bust. They're not falling off. I'm not seeing a big uh, trichome mess on the on the ground, you know, or excuse me, in my um, in my trim bin. 
et cetera. So what I'm trying to really get at is don't handle those buds like crazy, like really hold them gentle. And when it comes down to this dry phase, about seven days in, once those uh, leaves are nice and decently crispy, not to where they're literally like crunching and falling apart to, to nothing. That's over dry. That's kind of a bad situation. You want to get it to a point to where whenever you bend them, they will kind of snap in half but not and not totally crumble. But that's a decent dry right there. At that point, we're going to uh, sweat those buds out. What we're going to do is we're going to go get a trash bag. And I prefer the Husky all-black trash bags. They're made by Husky. Um, the regular 32-gallon bags. You're going to cut a small hole in the very bottom of the bag. So you're going to take the trash bag. You're not going to fully open it, but you're going to unfold it. And you're going to get to the point to where you can see all four corners. Uh, not the end that has the twist that you would put the trash into, um, but you are going to take the bottom end of that trash bag and you're going to cut like a shirt collar uh, out of the um, trash bag. And this is going to allow the hangers to go up into the trash bag and then come out the top. So what you're going to do is you're going to grab your, say if you got a plant, it's a whole plant, um, you got three to four hangers full of buds. Uh, branches are all hanging on th about three to four. You could fit three to four per trash bag, depending on how big the buds are. So three is usually my max, but I can go four sometimes. So I'm going to take that three to four, and I'm going to put those hangers together, even though they're going to be uh, touching each other and kind of a little bit intertwined. They're already pretty much dry. They've been drying for about seven to ten days. Now all they got, they're on the back end of it. So they got another four to seven days to go. Um, so I'm going to take those four hangers, push them together. It doesn't matter if they're close. I'm going to put the trash bag over them, and I'm going to feed the hanger uh, through the collar hole over the bottom that uh, uh, out of the cutout that I said. And I'm going to hang them, and I'm going to tie the bottom of the trash bag to where the, the, the bag's now enclosed. Uh, at the bottom to where it's like, you know, ready to go out to the trash can, you know, if it was, if it had trash in it, but it, except it doesn't, it's got buds in it. So at this point, you're going to take that and uh, let it sweat for another four to seven days. What's going to happen is it's going to kind of slow down that drying process a little bit. You still want your area to be 50-50 the whole entire time. And what you're going to do is you're going to have zero light in the room the entire time. I always preach that as well. I should have said that in the beginning. And what this is going to do is really kind of allow whatever's left inside those branches, whatever's left inside the buds, um, they're going to really kind of come out and, and, and sweat because they're all kind of together now. So now the humidity inside those buds is kind of kicked up a little bit because the fact that you have it enclosed inside the bags. So this bag technique is going to really, really, really ensure that your dry method goes that full time and it doesn't over dry. And it's not going to underdry it too as well because the first part of the method, we ensure that you don't overdry. You know, we're going in there after about seven days, we're checking things. You don't want to uh, just leave the room and not go in there for a week at a time. You want to go in there like every other day, ensure that your temperatures and humidities are the same. I have an AC in the in the room as well as a humidifier, dehumidifier in the room to ensure that things are going to stay the way they are. I always plastic the floors because I realize there's going to be a bunch of leaves and buds around. So plastic your floors so you're not getting, you know, leaves and buds all over the floor and messing up your rooms or your tents or having to do a big cleanup afterwards. This is going to ensure that you have no issues um, for cleanup. Also, 
once they're in the trash bag and they're separated, it's pretty easy when it comes down to trimming because then you're just bringing, you know, one bag down. It looks like there's clothes in the bag when you bring them down. It's just full of buds. It's great. And, you, you know, you bring down uh, whatever you want to trim for the day. You know, you grab one or two of the bags full and you just open up the bags, man. And I promise you, once you open them up and it's at that point, it's really, truly one of the better methods that you've witnessed if you do this. It's a really cool method that I've done many, many times now over over at least 50 times now um, with 50 different cultivars uh, since I learned it a couple years ago. So it's something that we really kind of preach nowadays. And I really highly believe that everyone should try that. So once you get into uh, the washing phase, some people really like to wash uh, live. They think it live, get those terpenes at that point, um, wash it and, you know, get your live, separate your passes and really make it, uh, the best of the best. I do it a little different. I actually try to dry the buds as best as I can do. And then after it's dried, what I do is I will trim the buds up a bit off of the branches and they'll just be on their stems. That's it. And I try to eliminate as much stems as possible. I try to take off a bunch of um, leaf that's not, you know, got sugar on it as possible. And I put it into a special hawthorn bag that's anti-static to where it makes a lot of the trichomes stay onto the plants. It doesn't, you know, take off a bunch of trichomes. Some, some bags are built different for different reasons. And these bags really help. The hawthorn bags are worth it. I put them in hawthorn bags and I weigh, I weigh each plant. Say if one plant gave me a pound and a quarter, uh, I will take that quarter pound, separate it to the side. I'll take one pound and I wash one pound at a time. If I'm going to get a higher machine, like an off spray or something, I could wash five pounds at a time, 10 pounds at a time. That's fine. That'll be in the future. Right now, I'm trying to isolate each strain, each plant, each phenotype, chemotype that I have, and I'm trying to wash them for a specific profile at a, you know, and then I do it every year differently. Uh, sometimes I'll harvest a little bit earlier or a little bit later, or I grow with a different nutrient. And I'm trying to see different expressions, different mediums. And I try to see what it gives me as far as, you know, uh, flour for hash. And I really try to learn these because that's, that's the true way to learn these genetics and really kind of wrap your head around them for if you want to breed with them later or what they would combine with later because just throwing things together and thinking it's going to be the next miracle genetic, it just doesn't work like that, you know? And sometimes some things get real popular for no real reason at all. And there's a lot of great stuff that should be a lot more popular than that is out there. And it just happens, you know? And that's why we have to continue this progress of just pushing uh, the best for the best. So now when I grow, I grow for hash now. I'm totally going for bubble hash. The last couple of years, it's been all bubble hash and extract. Um, the last few years, it's been extract or hydrocarbon before that. But, uh, you know, about four or five years now, we've been doing hydrocarbon. And then now the last two years, we've been doing the bubble hash method and really rocking with rosin. And uh, rosin's beautiful. I really love solventless hash rosin. I highly recommend it. And uh, I believe that I think that that's a whole nother episode that we could talk about in a podcast. And I'm actually going to um, make a podcast about that uh, for next week. So next time you guys tune in, you guys will hear me talking about bubble hash and using the Harvest Dry Freezer and washing with rosin evolution bags and pressing with rosin evolution bags. 
I have a New York rosin press. We'll be pressing with the New York rosin press 10 ton. Um, we also will be going through the intricate details that we've learned. We'll talk about um, how we did it, what it costs, what we use, the tools, in case anybody ever wanted to pick up the same machine and do the same things we're doing. I figured we could talk about that and uh, really link up with a good episode to where we could put some great information in in itself rather than extending an episode like this and making a very long podcast. So with that said, you know, I, I hope we got to cover a lot of subjects when it came, comes down to the harvesting part, uh, when it comes down to why we're growing, what we're going for, um, you know, and the things that we have to do to prepare for that um, and the methods that we choose. You know, I shared a few methods of mine. And, uh, of course, there's a lot more details and things we could talk about. A lot of this stuff is a freestyle off the top of the head. You guys are going to remember that. Sometimes we take notes beforehand. But about 85% of the time, I'm freestyling most of these podcasts. And you could ask anybody in my family who sits with me while we do these podcasts. I usually have one of them next to me. And a lot of them will, you know, probably remember a few things that we should cover, you know, and, you know, respect me and don't say too much during that time. But I figured maybe one of these days we could have Miss Viking Gardens on and uh, we could have her talk about, you know, different details and things that she noticed too. So we're not just leaving uh, you to only, you know, what I could think of during the podcast time and, and uh, you know, just some of my details. I think we'd like to listen to hers too. So we'll see how that goes. So um, I appreciate you guys giving me the time to talk today on this podcast episode. It's I uh, hope you guys had a happy harvest. I really wanted to cover that end and uh, move forward. I think we could move forward from our outdoor talks now and uh, move into the holidays. We are now indoor growing um, because the outdoor is no longer going on. So we have a current culture system. We have a six light, uh, three on each side. We rock a uh, 24 port uh, DWC, RDWC recirculating system. We just upgraded the pumps. We are going to upgrade a little bit in the room before uh, we flip, but we do have plants in there now, and they're starting to grow. We cannot grow from clone at this moment. We are growing from seed, and the reason to be is because we run into a big obstacle. Guys, our breeding room and our clone room has been compromised. We had to really get rid of all of the clones and all of the breeding at the time. It was a very upsetting deal, but during the fall winter, uh, some things weren't closed up and sealed down there and some issues happened. So we really had to kind of, um, you know, restart. So as far as the growing, we had to start from seed again. And I'm going to go uh, down to the list and we'll we'll uh, let you guys know everything we're growing. I believe a podcast coming up here soon of what we're growing and how it grows and some details. Uh, we'll let you know um, what we're doing. It would be a great podcast to hold. So uh, consider one of those coming up here for the future. And uh, look forward to some more episodes coming up, guys, for the holidays. Hope you guys have a wonderful holiday, 2023. I look forward to being in the next podcast with you guys. So uh, if anybody out there has any guests or anybody would like to come up to the show, please feel free to contact the Autoflower Review on the Discord or their Instagram or their Twitter app and let them know that you'd like to be on the show. If you have somebody that you would like to request or uh, to be on the show or you would like for me to contact them and you think that would be great for the show, please let me know. I'm looking to talk about almost any subjects cannabis related. Uh, it could be almost anything. I do not mind. So look forward to that too as well, guys. Until then, I'll see you on the next Thursdays with Thor. Later, guys.